Hi, my name is Charles Linden. I'm Director of Linden Tree Education and welcome to Bold But Bold. And this first episode is focusing on depression. But why depression, I hear you say? My main focus and our organisation-wide focus is on anxiety-related conditions. So those are things like generalised anxiety disorder, panic disorder, agoraphobia, monophobia, health anxiety, eating disorders, self-harming, emetophobia, fear of dying, fear of uh, fainting, and those kinds of conditions. So why is episode one um, dedicated to a condition outside of those conditions, namely depression? Well, it's very simple. Most people with anxiety are diagnosed with anxiety and depression. Most people with anxiety are given antidepressants, or at least given a prescription they're meant to take for, um, for depression. And there is a massive amount of information out there and misinformation which tells people that if you suffer from anxiety, you are also depressed. So it's absolutely vital as a sufferer of any of those anxiety-related conditions to understand why you also haven't got clinical depression. Because if you can understand that science, you're a long way to understanding what it is you actually suffer from. And it is vital as a sufferer that you understand the mechanics, the internal mechanisms that cause your condition and cause all of the physiology, the symptoms that you experience and all of the thoughts, the psychology of the thoughts that come from neurological and uh, chemical responses in the brain. Because if you don't understand those things, and it's really, really simple science, you're starting on the back foot. You cannot understand um, why you suffer, how you suffer, what manifests all of these uh, symptoms and thoughts, and also then what to do about it. So let's get depression out of the way. What is depression? Okay, it's very simple. There are many colloquialisms used within mental health that are taken on the whole to mean the same thing and to identify specific symptoms and thoughts and manifestations of these conditions and give them names. OCD is a good example. Uh, panic disorder is another example. They're names given to specific features of an underlying disorder, but they are not separate disorders. Depression, true clinical depression, is an entirely separate disorder. In order, for somebody to tell you that you've got depression with anxiety is like a person who's had their appendix removed um, being told that they're suffering from an appendicitis. It is physically impossible. And this is vital to you as sufferers because if you believe that the low mood or the manifestations of low mood that you experience in your anxiety condition are depression, you will also be led to believe that you can deal with that depression to get rid of the anxiety or in some way reduce your depression within the anxiety. It is impossible. If you have got anxiety at some point, the chances are that the favours are stacked against the fact that you won't suffer from depression. The likelihood is that you will have anxiety-related depressive thoughts. But that's an entirely different thing to suffering from true clinical depression. Think of this logically. When you are anxious, when you're in hypervigilance, when you're suffering from the symptoms and thoughts that anxiety feeds up to you, and when I talk about hypervigilance, I mean the fine-tuning of your eyes, your ears, your nose, your skin, your mouth, all of those sensations that give rise to the belief that there's something physically wrong with you. Those are hypervigilance. Hypervigilance is the state that fear puts you in to deal with true threat. Now, when you have all of those feelings and when they're constant and when you wake up every day and they're still there, it's easy to believe that you have a clinical illness, 
that you are in some way suffering from some undiagnosed condition, which is where things like health anxiety and all of those uh, phobic and obsessive um, thoughts and responses come from. But also, it puts you in a state of um, physiological decline because you're so tired out from the symptoms and thoughts that anxiety feeds up to you. But it also puts you in a state of chemical decline or chemical suppression in that you're not able, in the, in the absence of your fear, which is led by the fear-related uh, hormones in the body, things like adrenaline, in the, it, because they're so intense and they are literally overwhelming the synapses of your brain in hypervigilance to make you fight an invisible threat, you can't also feel jolly, jovial and happy. It's an impossibility to have two um, totally different chemical um, states in the synapses simultaneously. You can't be happy and sad at the same time, for example. So to think that you're in hypervigilance, so you are highly tuned to recognise and deal with threat in your anxiety condition, but also then suffer from low mood, is an absolute nonsense. You can be fed up. You can be frustrated. You can have all of those things that lead you to think it would be easier not to be here. But ultimately, you know as an anxiety sufferer that you're too scared to live and too scared to die. So anybody that tells you that you've got anxiety with depression is either ignorant or they're misleading you in some way, if they do understand the true neurology of it, or they're just justifying giving you some tablets or giving you some kind of talking therapy that is meant to uh, help you to come to terms with the way you're feeling. It's nonsensical. If you've got an anxiety-related condition, you haven't also got clinical depression. Now look, over the years, I have met many tens of thousands of people with anxiety and with true clinical depression, and they're polar opposite. Somebody with anxiety is, like I said, too scared to live and too scared to die. They're constantly doing risk assessments. What if this? What if that? At a high level. And you know how those manifest because you experience them every day. And that's how the phobic responses and the compulsions are built. So you have a risk assessment of what if, and the compulsion is to do whatever it takes to mitigate that risk. That might be staying at home in the, in the case of agoraphobia. It might be washing your hands repeatedly in the case of OCD. But the names don't matter and the subject matter are irrelevant. What does matter is that if you're feeling low mood as a result of that, and you're feeling frustrated and downtrodden by your anxiety symptoms, that is not depression. Depressed people don't care. They really don't have the chemical ability to create positive emotional responses. They're in a state, they're not in a state of hypervigilance. They are cocooning themselves away because they don't feel compelled emotionally to do, say, or carry out anything. They have no uh, sense of what is right in life. They only know that they feel incapable of interacting appropriately, incapable of smiling and laughing and feeling the emotional attachment to other people or even life itself, which is why they find it so easy in some cases to do things that other people find incredibly silly or brave, depending on your outlook. And that's what depressed people do. That's what they think. That's what they are. They wake up every day without the ability to create high level emotional responses that give rise to joy and happiness. And they just don't care. Whereas anxious people care too much. And you know that because as you're sitting listening to me now, you're thinking to yourself, well, actually, yeah, do you know what? He's right. I feel anxious. I feel panicky. I feel very often low in that I just don't know how to carry on. I don't know what to do about it. And nothing seems to be working. 
But do I feel depressed? No. In fact, your uh, physiological and chemical and neurological responses to your world are high level. You don't want them to be that way, but you know that you're in hypervigilance. Fear isn't a necessarily positive emotion in its experience, but it isn't a negative emotion because it's what keeps you safe. And I know that you're going to say, but Charles, mine isn't fear, it's anxiety. Well, anxiety is the, um, is the disorder of the emotion of fear. So although you don't want to feel as anxious as you do, feeling fearful is absolutely necessary. Now, there are people out there in the world as well that you know that go out and actively seek fear. They love the feeling, that adrenaline rush that they get from doing things that place them or, or potentially place them in danger. And very often these things, yes, they're dangerous, but they're very controlled. And so actually they fight really to create ever more dangerous situations so they can experience that, that fear, that, that, that adrenaline rush that they so, so need. And it becomes like a drug. They love the feeling of adrenaline pumping through their veins. Now you know, and I know as an ex-sufferer, and you know as a sufferer of anxiety, that the last thing that you want is adrenaline rushing through your, through your, your veins because it makes you feel so wretched. It tires you out. It makes your heart race. It gives you inappropriate thoughts. It makes you feel like you're smothering or, or that you can't get a deep breath. It might make you feel like you can't swallow. But that's not depression. That's hypervigilance. That's the opposite, opposite end of the emotional spectrum. So the message I'm trying to get to you isn't that depression doesn't exist. I'm not trying to tell you that um, you don't feel low and you don't feel frustrated and you don't feel you know, at your wits end with what you experience every day. But that's because you have anxiety. And anxiety is a systemic disorder. You're anxious whether you're awake or asleep until it's gone. And to make it go, you've got to do very specific things that tell your brain and body to switch it off. And that's how the disorder works. It isn't that you, um, you've got clinical illness. It isn't that you've got low levels of serotonin. It isn't that um, you're, uh, you, know, you need hospitalization or to take medication that lowers your, that, that, that certain chemical levels in your synapses to improve your mood. That's not what you've got. There are four types or categories, as I call them, of, of true mental illness. And that's brain injury, which goes without saying. That's when you hurt your head in some way and it has an effect on your brain or the neurology within your head and therefore the rest of your body. Um, you have degenerative disorders like Alzheimer's and things like that, which you certainly don't have. There's psychosis, which again is a, a condition of the brain that is totally unassociated with, with anxiety has no relationship whatsoever neurologically, physiologically, chemically. And then you've got depressive conditions, depressive disorders like uh, true clinical depression and bipolar disorder. Now, if you, you know, if you have true clinical depression and you have low mood, those people don't also suffer from anxiety. There are people out there that have things like bipolar disorder, which isn't true low mood clinical depression, who also have anxiety. But that is a completely different situation. We're talking about those people who are told that they've got depression and anxiety and it just physically isn't possible unless you've got two brains or unless you haven't got anxiety. But if you're the kind of person that wakes up every day feeling um, anxious and you have intrusive thoughts, inappropriate thoughts, panic attacks, obsessions, compulsions, no matter how they manifest and whether that's staying at home or washing your hands or, or self-harming, for example, is irrelevant. There's still compulsions within that um, category of conditions you don't also have clinical depression. Now, I'm, hoping, I'm really, really hoping that you're understanding this because it is absolutely vital that you understand the difference. And even though 
the people that are telling you this stuff may be uh, perceived to be learned people that have been to university, that have done courses, that understand the true nature of these conditions. Don't be fooled. Because I have sat with thousands of clinical psychologists, um, counsellors, um, CBT practitioners, psychiatrists, doctors from all branches of medicine, and that's both professionally and also as clients through our retreats and workshops. So I've spent, and our team have spent a huge amount of time with these people. Also, don't forget that our team are trained psychologists and counsellors, uh, psychotherapists, who have literally been through the gamut and, and, and the training um, that their professional um, personal de uh, professional development insists that they do. So they've all done CBT training, they've all done Gestalt therapy, they've all done um, you know all of the, the various retrainings that they have to do to remain accredited by their, their, their awarding bodies and their, um, and their national bodies like the BPS and like the BACP. So they've all done this stuff, but they don't use it. And why don't they use it? Because they've had the forethought to understand and recognise that none of it actually does anything to rectify the conditions within anxiety. But why is that? Because psychology and psychiatry, the, the um, perceived science behind those practices, and they are practice models, by the way, they're not sciences, regardless of what you think. Um, they are not sciences. They are not um, like medicine that have been through stringent testing procedures, laboratory-style te um, testing procedures, to find out that you know penicillin kills certain bacteria. That isn't the case. Psychology and psychiatry are what I call assumptive practices. So if you if you practice those, it's based on assumption. It's based on um, you know experience within doing what you're doing. In other words, oh somebody turned up and they were experiencing uh, low mood after having a baby. Um, they also had some anxiety. What should we call that? Postnatal depression. And it goes in the um, in, you know in in the uh, prescriptive and diagnostic guidelines of the DSM, for example. Um, that doctors and psychologists and psychiatrists use to recognise what's wrong with people when they present themselves to them. But it isn't true science. It isn't tested. And, and even the efficacy for these things isn't tested. So we make huge assumptions about people that have got degrees, that have got um, any kind of training that gives rise to us believing uh, or being um, led to believe that these people have uh, knowledge and, and efficacy that is relevant to us. But the truth is... The true cause of anxiety as a group of conditions, OCD, panic disorder, etc., as I said before, um, it, the, the true neurology and physiology of that actually lies outside of the science that these practice models actually used to try to help you. Now, if you're sat there listening to me and thinking to yourself, well, yeah, you know, I've been for CBT, I've had um, talking therapies, I've been for counselling, I've been to a psychiatrist, I have been through that gamut of uh, treatment methodologies that um, private healthcare and nationalised healthcare provide you, and I still feel the way I feel. Well, isn't that a strong message? So if you've been diagnosed with depression and you've been given antidepressants and you've been treated as if you are suffering from a mental illness, namely because you've been diagnosed with depression and you've been talking to people and you feel no better, what does that tell you? How on earth can that science be right? Now, you could be sat there thinking, yeah, but I could be the only one. You know, Charles could be talking to me and I could be one in a, a million people listening to this and I'm the only one that feels this way. OK, well, if that's the case, then why is it that, you know, the, the, the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people that we've treated with the correct science 
um, end up turning around saying, well, I clearly see I didn't have depression. And once you understand the, the science, and once you've been exposed to the process that creates true change, um, physiological change inside of you, that eliminates the disorder, and you recover, and your mood lifts because you no longer suffer from panic attacks or obsessions or compulsions, the impact is unbelievable. And at that point, it becomes abundantly clear. You know, it, it, you can't doubt the fact that you never suffered from depression. Because depression, as I said, is a clinical condition. It is a disorder caused by, nobody really understands the mechanics of it, but primarily, I suppose, by chemical imbalance. But people with anxiety haven't got a, a, a clinical um, condition. They haven't got chemical imbalance because fear is natural. So to say that anxiety, which is the disorder of fear, is, a, is, is an illness is, is nonsense because that's also saying that fear is an illness. It's not. There's nothing wrong with your brain. There's nothing happening in your head to, uh, that is illness, that is uh, connected to uh, actual physical or chemical illness in your brain that causes your anxiety. It's an entirely different um, condition. It's more akin to fitness and unfitness. You know, unfitness ultimately is the disorder of fitness. We should all be fit. We should all be in balance and equilibrium. We should be functioning at our maximum efficiency. But life gets in the way. We eat too much. We drink too much. We don't sleep enough. We don't exercise enough. And that causes disorder. And unfitness is disorder of fitness in the same way as anxiety is disorder of fear. Fear is natural and necessary. Anxiety is not. And it doesn't matter who tells you that you need anxiety. They're wrong. You need fear because fear is the natural emotion. And think about it logically. You've got uh, sadness, happiness, jealousy, fear, aggression, whatever they are. They are the true emotions. They're created chemically and they're there to keep us safe and to give us experiences of the world. If fear and anxiety are both emotions, why did they name them twice? Why did they give two names to one emotion? They didn't. Anxiety is the disorder of fear that we shouldn't experience no matter what. I had anxiety that kept me housebound. It gave me OCD and monophobia and agoraphobia. It gave me um, a form of PTSD, of self-harming. I had eating disorders. It was horrendous for 22 years of my life. And I felt down. I felt really fed up that I couldn't get rid of it and that everybody just seemed to let me down constantly. No matter who I saw or what I took, nothing helped. But then when I recovered and I understood the true nature of the condition, it was like a light bulb going on for the first time in my life. And at that point, I realised that I do not suffer and never have suffered from depression. Now, if you're like the people that we help at the, at the retreats and through the workshops and through the, um, the programmes, um, you'll be thinking the same thing sat there now. You'll be saying, oh, crikey, this makes so much sense. And once you've reached recovery and you've removed the disorder, you'll be saying, why didn't anybody else tell me this? It is my biggest frustration in life that people are misled to believe uh, misinformation, uh, non-science, non snake oil, if you like, uh, pseudoscience. Because any neurologist worth their salt, anybody working at a high level in, uh, in neurology, in other words, research scientists in the top universities that really do understand the full function of everything above your neck, let's say, 
they will tell you categorically that if somebody has true clinical depression, they can't also suffer from anxiety. And it's common sense when you think about it. So why are you taking antidepressants? Why are you, um, why are you prescribed antidepressants? Very simple. Because if you're taking an SSRI, for example, serotonin, they're called selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. The assumption is that you have depression, first of all, and therefore must take an antidepressant. The second assumption is, is that you have low serotonin levels, which a lot of people are convinced is true because they think, well, low mood is caused by a lack of serotonin. Therefore, if I take a reuptake inhibitor, it will keep the serotonin in my synapses and I'll be happier. Doesn't work because you haven't got low, low serotonin. We've had thousands of people have blood tests and other tests to, um, to, to identify the level of serotonin in their systems. And they don't have low serotonin. And the thing is this, the reason that people give those to you, all of those SSRIs, is because they believe that they can um, make you have a soporific effect on your brain. In other words, make you slightly, slightly drowsy. Which in the same way as, for example, beta blockers slow your heart rate and therefore um, prevent the high level experience of your anxiety. The, the, the antidepressants will have a soporific effect like taking an antihistamine or a sleeping tablet and will subdue your experiences of the anxiety. But that doesn't mean the anxiety is gone. It just means it's got a plug in the top of it. It just means that it's, your experience of it is reduced. But when the tablets wear off, it all comes back which is why so many people who take antidepressants and then feel less anxious come off the tablets and then get rebound anxiety because all you're doing is unscrewing the, the, the top, the, the, um, the cork. You're allowing the cork to release the pressure inside the bottle. But that's not recovery. That's not treatment. Treatment is where you apply something to something and it alleviates the core condition. This isn't alleviating the core condition. It's hiding the core condition. Why would you do that? Now, looking back at my experience taking antidepressants and, uh, and other medication, things like um, uh, Valium, um, and I even took an antipsychotic, which at low levels can help to suppress the outward expression of the anxiety. But looking back, and I say this regularly to people, I would rather be chronically anxious, phobic and obsessive and have my eight to ten panic attacks a day every day again and know scientifically what to do about it to get rid of it completely than be drugged up to the eyeballs with things that suppress it all and which ultimately you've got to take away at some, at some point. So my point now is to people, don't come off your medication, stay on your medication, it's irrelevant. It may be uh, superficially suppressing your anxiety but isn't treating the anxiety, stay on it. But do what it takes then to get rid of the disorder so that when you do take the medication away and, and take the cork out of the bottle, the, buzz of, but the bubbles have already dissipated. Do you see the point? So, you know, when we say to people, um, you know, address your, your medication issues with your doctor, we're not saying to people, come off your medication right now because it's doing you no good. It's the last thing we say. What we say is, don't worry about it. Carry on. And when people say, what do I do about my compulsions? I keep checking the, 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 the lights or washing my hands. What do I do, Charles? Do I stop? No. Carry on. Because when you get rid of the disorder, all of those things will stop naturally you'll go back to emotional and physical balance and those tablets will become irrelevant. The compulsions will stop. Everything will find its balance again. You'll be going from unfitness back to fitness, from anxious back to normal emotional responses. And when fear activates, it'll activate because it's necessary, because it's normal. 
So I'm really, really hoping now, before I wind up, that you are understanding the, the mechanics and the, um, the theory and also the practice models behind um, those, uh, you know, the facts, the, the misinformation that you've been spun by people. Look, I'm not saying that your doctor, psychologist, psychiatrist, counsellor hasn't got good intentions. I'm sure they have good intentions. They're not bad people. It's just that if they were producing recovery, why aren't you recovered? If they were helping people to actually completely get rid of the core disorder and get back to emotional balance, which means that they wake up every day not even having to consider any of the symptoms or thoughts that they're experiencing because they're gone. If they're not doing that, then why do you keep going to them? What efficacy actually is there? Now, if I sat here and said to you, look, I've met tens of thousands of people and in not one case has any of that stuff ever worked for them in inverted commas and by worked I mean eradicated their disorder you could say well he could be lying to me you know he, he could be just saying that but go out and find out even when in my lives for example and even probably now after this I'll have people say yeah but Charles I had CBT and it made me feel better yeah it might make you feel better but why are you listening to my podcast why are you following me why are you calling our center why are you still looking for a solution if it's worked, it hasn't worked. You know, reassurance is a, a massive reducer of anxiety and fear. Any reassurance. Do you remember when you were a kid and you fell over and you, you, you scarred your knee and you cut your knee open and you ran to mommy and said, look, I'm bleeding, mommy, look, I'm bleeding. And she said, it's all right, darling, we'll, we'll sort it out. And she sterilized it and dressed it. And you were reassured. I'm not going to die then. No, of course you're not going to die. It's just a cut. Don't be silly. Reassurance lowers your fear levels. If you go to see these people repeatedly and they keep lowering your fear levels by offering you reassurance or even just a useful chat, that's not recovery. Recovery is elimination of the core condition and that's created by being given instruction, exact instructions on how to do what your brain and body were, have evolved through human evolution to do. So if you're told by some psychologist or doctor or psychiatrist that you have anxiety and depression, and this often happens with new moms, for example. So there's a huge confusion about postnatal anxiety and postnatal depression. But in all my years, I've never met somebody with postnatal depression, only in postnatal anxiety. Um, now, that's not to say that postnatal depression can't happen. I'm sure there are people that have had babies and become clinically depressed, but they haven't also got anxiety. But what I'm saying is the people that come to us are people with anxiety after having a baby, and they've been diagnosed with postnatal depression when actually they have anxiety. And it's so true across the, the whole gamut of mental health conditions. Anxiety and depression aren't the same thing. They can't coexist in what's called comorbidity because they're at the opposite ends of the emotional spectrum. Unless you've got two brains, um, it can't happen. And I hope that this, uh, this podcast, this episode, has, has shed some light on that for you because it's vital that you understand that. It doesn't matter how down you feel, how fed up you feel, how frustrated you feel. Ultimately, if you have an anxiety condition, you have an anxiety condition. And how it manifests is irrelevant. And to get over it, you've got to do what your brain and body evolved to do. It's that simple. My biggest frustration in life is that people don't recover as quickly as they should because they don't receive the instruction. And it is instruction. Like going to a gym and getting instruction to, to become fit. It is very specific, very prescriptive. And they don't get that instruction through mental health care. They get reassurance. They get a chat. They get uh, guided to, um, to, to make lists of how they feel 
and to, you know, to create anxiety diaries and to reason with their thoughts. Anxiety isn't caused by thought. If it was caused by thought, you could control your thoughts and therefore um, deactivate the anxiety. The same is true of depression. It isn't about what you think. It has nothing to do with what you think. What you think is secondary. What you think comes after the fact, after the neurological fact. Not before it, not in it. Conscious thought is irrelevant to these conditions. I hope you now understand the difference between depression uh, and anxiety and how they can't coexist. And I hope that this has helped to shed some light on your experiences every day. But do not despair. despair. If you suffer from anxiety, if you have an anxiety-related condition, like I said before, GAD, panic disorder, agoraphobia, monophobia, health anxiety, uh, emetophobia, self-harming, fear of dying, fear of fainting, or any of those conditions, and it doesn't matter how they manifest in you physiologically, with insomnia or a lump in your throat or breathlessness or smothering sensations or dizziness, shaky legs, it doesn't matter how they manifest. The thoughts it creates, the what-if thoughts, um, like the ones within Puro, what if I'm gay, what if I kill a child, what if I kill my husband, what if I do something bad, what if there's no God, what if, there's, uh, what if my relationship um, doesn't work, what if I never meet somebody, they're all what-ifs. It's not to do with depression. Take care.